You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. I'd like to start off this week by extending our condolences to all those affected by the dreadful uh, terrorist activity in Sri Lanka earlier today. It's particularly poignant, of course, with it being Easter Sunday, that these events should be taking place seemingly largely against Christians um, in Sri Lanka. As I speak, it's not yet clear who exactly is behind these actions that have taken place, but we wish the Sri Lankan authorities every success in bringing speedy prosecutions where appropriate. And as I say, just extend our condolences to all those people affected either directly or indirectly by these actions today. Welcome to this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. And as regular listeners will know, I like to start off by having a shout out to our new listeners. And so this week we have new listeners in London, Cardiff, Birmingham, Derby, Southampton, Hemel Hempstead, Portsmouth. Gloucester, Nottingham, Reading, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Manchester and Torquay. And we also have new listeners this week in Ireland from Dublin and from County Monaghan. And then moving across to Europe, we have new listeners in Beja, in Portugal, in Madrid, in Spain, in Calais and Rhone, in France, in the Brabant area, which is on the border between Belgium and the Netherlands in Utrecht in the Netherlands, Rotterdam in the Netherlands, Baden in Germany, Hovedstaden in Denmark, Slasky in Poland, Cray in Russia, Vienna in Austria, Lombardy in Italy, Tuscany in Italy, Zagreb in Croatia, in Serbia, in Budapest in Turkey, and then moving into the Middle East, we have new listeners this week in Jordan, and then to the Far East, where we have new listeners in Tokyo, in Japan. And we have new listeners also in Sydney and Australia, and in Auckland, in New Zealand. And then back to South America, where we have new listeners in Sao Paulo, in Brazil. And then in North America, we have new listeners in Quebec, in Canada. And then within the USA itself, we have new listeners in California, in Nevada, in Texas, in Colorado, Illinois, New York, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Connecticut and Massachusetts. So once again, really pleasing to see new listeners from right around the globe. So a big shout out to you and of course as always a big shout out to all my regular listeners who tune in every week for half an hour's news on what's new in the world of GDPR and I really appreciate you all who take uh, 30 minutes out of your week to listen to me and catch up on what the latest news in the world of GDPR is. And as always, I look forward to receiving your feedback. And uh, please send any emails with feedback to uh, podcasts at insurety.co.uk That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk I really look forward to receiving your feedback. I do read every single email I've always had time to reply to them all, but I do read everyone that comes in. So please let me have any feedback on the show, things you like, things you don't like, or indeed people you'd like to see 
me interview on the show and I'll do my best to get them onto a future episode of the show for you. So uh, in a few moments I'll tell you what's coming up in this week's packed edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. So coming up in this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show we have a look at a new consultation which has come out from the UK Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, for an age-appropriate design code for websites and web applications specifically targeted at children. We then have an article on a new data breach by the Department of Culture, Media and Sport. We then have a useful article for you on telephone call recording and how GDPR is starting to have an effect on how telephone call recording should be operated. And then we end this week with a look at potential perils of using the Facebook like button on your website. So, as usual, a mixed bag, a real interesting selection of articles, I hope you'll agree, on uh, this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. And we'll get started with the first article just straight after this jingle. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The ICO have released a new consultation this week, all about age-appropriate design, uh, which is a code of practice for online services, and in particular those online services that target their offering at children. And it's quite a uh, significant read. But so it's a document that's out for at the moment. You can download it from the podcast page on our website. So if you go to www.insurety, that's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk forward slash podcasts, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S, then you can find a copy of this document to download for you to review and to give any feedback to the ICO. But I thought perhaps I'd run through just the key points that it's looking to address. And basically what it's set out to do is to provide practical guidance on 16 standards of age-appropriate design for services, online services particularly, likely to be accessed by children. And the 16 standards which it's asking people to take into account are, number one, not surprisingly, best interest of the child. So the best interest of the child should be the primary consideration when you design and develop online services likely to be accessed by a child. The second is age-appropriate applications. So consider the age range of your audience and the needs of children of different ages. Apply the standards in the code to all users unless you have robust age verification mechanisms in place to be able to distinguish adults from children. Thirdly is transparency, just as with GDPR. 
Um, and indeed, this whole document is largely influenced by GDPR, hence why we're featuring it on our show. Um, transparency under these proposed regulations talks about privacy information, and particularly the privacy information that you provide to users and any other terms or policies or community standards that you have must be concise, they must be prominent, and they must be in clear language suited to the age of the child. And I think that's something which people are going to have to give real clear consideration to, because at the moment there's a general assumption that privacy policies, etc., should be worded in words which a reasonably educated 13-year-old could understand. But obviously if your website or service is aimed at children under five, you might have to find a very different way of expressing the privacy policy, and but you're still going to have to do it. And so one suggestion there is that you provide additional specific bite-sized explanations about how you use personal data at the point that the use of that personal data is activated. Obviously, because it's based on GDPR, there's a lot of control over use of data, and it's important that item number four is not to use per children's personal data in ways that have been shown to be detrimental to their well-being or that go against industry codes of practice, other regulatory provisions or advice from the government. Uh, suggestion policy number five is all about policies and community standards. Uphold your own published terms, policies and community standards included but not limited to your privacy policies, your age restrictions, your behaviour rules and your content policy. Number six is that default settings for privacy must be set to high privacy by default, unless you can really demonstrate a compelling reason for a different default setting when taking into account the best interests of the child. Again, because it's based on GDPR, there's a strong emphasis on data minimization, and so that's number seven. You should collect and retain only the minimum amount of personal data you need to provide the elements of your service in which the child is actively and knowingly engaged. Give children separate choices over which elements they wish to activate. And again, I think it's something which um, people now designing web applications for children I don't know, have to think very carefully about how do you allow your children using the app or website to be able to activate individual elements. Again, his emphasis on GDPR comes in item number eight, which is about data sharing. Do not disclose children's data unless you can demonstrate a compelling reason to do so. Again, all these reasons have to be taken into account the best interests of the child. Number nine, and again, this might upset some providers of apps, particularly, I think, is geolocation. The guidelines are saying that you should switch geolocation options off by default, unless you can demonstrate a compelling reason for geolocation, and again, taking into account the best interests of the child and provide an obvious sign for children when location tracking is active. So basically they're saying that you're going to need to have some logo or something that you display on the screen that makes it obvious to the child when location tracking is active. 
options which made the child's location visible to others must default back to off at the end of each session. Proposal 10 talks about parental controls. If you provide parental controls, give the child age-appropriate information about this. If your online service allows a parent or carer to monitor the child's online activity or track their location, you must provide an obvious sign to the child when they are being monitored. Again, leaning towards GDPR, item 11 is all about profiling. Switch options which use profiling off by default, unless you can demonstrate a compelling reason for profiling, once again taking into account the best interests of the child. Only allow profiling if you have appropriate measures in place to protect the child from any harmful effects, in particular being fed content that is detrimental to their health or mental well-being. Item 12 is about nudge techniques and specifically the regulations say do not use nudge techniques to lead or encourage children to provide unnecessary personal data to weaken or turn off their privacy protection or to extend their use. If you are into the Internet of Things and you have connected toys and devices, then item 13 is about how you provide a connected toy or device with effective tools to enable compliance with the whole code. If you're providing online tools, then Section 14 deals with providing prominent and accessible tools to help children exercise their data protection rights and report any concerns. Item 15, again this is where clearly GDPR has had a big influence on these new regulations, talks all about data protection impact assessments and especially about undertaking DPIAs specifically to assess and mitigate risks to children who are likely to access your service, taking into account different age groups of children, different capacities and different development needs. Ensure that your DPIA builds in compliance with the new code and of course in compliance with GDPR. Item 16 is all about governance and accountability. Ensure you have policies and procedures in place which demonstrate how you comply with data protection obligations, including data protection training for all the staff involved in the design and development of online services likely to be accessed by children. Ensure that your policies, procedures and terms of service demonstrate compliance with the provisions of the code. So, in a nutshell, that's what the new code is all about. I say if you're already compliant with GDPR then you're already going to have some of these things in place but some of them do need tweaking to meet these new rules because the rules very much have the child in mind so whilst they do refer to GDPR they also refer to things like the United Nations Conventions on the Rights of the Child. As I say this policy is out for public consultation at the moment it came out for public consultation on the 15th of April, so Monday, and consultation closes on the 31st of May. So if you have an interest in applications for children or you are thinking in the future you might do have applications for children, please do feel free to download the proposals from our website at www.insurety.co.uk forward slash podcasts 
and the document gives you instructions on how you can provide your feedback to the Information Commissioner's Office, the UK ICO. We'll probably come back and have another look into parts of this code in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show, but as the consultation is now open, I thought it was important to bring it to all of your attention. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The Department for Culture, Media and Sport foul foul of GDPR this week. Rather like we've said before with government departments in the UK, it fell foul of GDPR because it sent out a email using CC rather than BCC. And it almost feels like every week at the moment, I'm having to repeat this one, um, maybe I ought to write to the head of each government department here in the UK and offer them some training. But the point is, is that by using CC rather than BCC, unless you have explicit permission from those people to share their email addresses, then you are committing a data breach. And the DCMS, as I say, actually fell foul with this itself this week. And it couldn't have chosen a worse subject to fall foul of it on because the subject was actually all about the new um, adult age verification porn filters which are being introduced to the UK from July the 15th. The uh, email managed to include in the CC all of the email addresses of all of the various journalists that the email was being circulated to. And not surprisingly, one of the journalists, Alex Hearn from The Guardian, picked up on the fact that this data breach had occurred. Uh, We spoke to the DCMS press office, who admitted that it had happened, and said that they were in conversation with the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, to see what else needed to be done. Now in this case, given that all the addresses were journalists, and one suspects that journalists are pretty well aware of each other's email addresses anyway, I rather suspect that the DCMS will get away with just a uh, wrap across the knuckles. But it's perhaps disappointing that yet again it's the government department itself which is falling foul of this procedure and not getting it right. So, so that you don't fall into that situation, just make sure that all of your team, all of your staff, are aware that if you are sending out bulk email, that unless you have express permission to share someone's email address, even if it is bill.jones at xyzwidgets.com, a company email address does not matter, it still falls under GDPR. The only exceptions are email addresses which are things like info at, sales at, bookings at. But play safe, just don't use CC, use BCC instead, and then you just don't have a problem. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. 
we are getting an increasing number of our customers now already contacting us to arrange an audit as now it's coming up to towards a year from when GDPR came in and they want to make sure that they're operating as they should be and we'd like to offer this service out to all of you, all of our listeners. Uh, so if you'd like us to perform an audit on your GDPR uh, operations and make sure that you are recording everything you need to be, that you have all the necessary procedures in place and that you know how to action those procedures, please do get in touch with us via podcasts at insurity.co.uk. That's podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T at insurity, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot co.uk. Please make the subject of your email GDPR audit and we'll get the relevant person to contact you. Um, We're able to carry out audits either on-site or remotely and for a pleasantly low cost. Um, I'm sure you'll be pleasantly surprised with the figure we're able to provide you with for providing the audit. I can't give a global figure here because it does affect, it does depend on how many employees, how many customers, how many records, etc. you have. Um, But please do get in contact with us. It's totally without obligation, but do get in contact with us to arrange an audit because uh, if you do want the audit done around May or June of this year to be annual from when GDPR came in, we are rapidly filling our diaries for that period. So uh, don't delay, do get in touch, do it this week, and we'll be pleased to provide you with a quote. And for the first five of you to contact us to request a, a data audit, a data breach audit, I'm pleased to be able to say that we will provide that to you for 50% of our normal fee. But that's only for the first five of you to contact us as a result of this podcast. Check us out on Facebook. In the last few weeks, we've mentioned about CCTV and how that falls under GDPR. But another area that falls under GDPR, which lots of companies miss, is voice recordings and so if you record your customer service calls or your sales calls or any other kind of calls from that um, then those calls themselves or the content of the calls fall under GDPR and as with all parts of GDPR unless you can justify legitimate interest, then you can't record those phone calls unless you have consent from the person involved. And this has come to a height this week in Denmark. And the Danish Data Protection Authority has confirmed that their judgment is that affirmative consent is required when companies record calls with customers. The case was brought against a company called TDCAS, Denmark's largest telecommunications company. 
the company said that they provided disclosures to its customers that tools may be retorted for training purposes, but the company didn't offer any mechanism for customers to opt in or out of the recording. During one such call, the customer requested that the tool should not be recorded, but the service agent said there was no way to turn off the recording. Having considered the case, the Denmark DPA, their equivalent to our ICO, rejected the company's arguments that its recording practices served a legitimate interest, such as the improvement of the customer service, and concluded that the company's telephone recording practice, because it had no way of removing consent, violated GDPR. We wait and see what the response is of other ICOs across Europe, but I think if I was a company who's operating telephone call recording right now, I'd be looking at training my customer service agents and also be talking to the technical provider of my call recording software to ensure that it would be possible to not record an individual call if requested to do so by the member of the public who was making the call. What the Denmark DPA has said is that a company must obtain the customer's consent to the recording unless the company is able to demonstrate the recording is necessary to fulfil a contractual requirement or a legal obligation. In rare cases, for instance, um, the NHS phone service would be an example of this, they could use the vital interest clause, I think, to allow them to record telephone calls. But on the whole, the ruling is that a customer has to give consent to you to record their telephone call. And remembering that under GDPR, consent must be freely given, it must be specific, it must be informed, and it must be unambiguous. And what this ruling does is it makes tacit consent no longer enough. Because when you think about it, by saying all our tools are retorted or a tool might be retorted, and then giving people the chance to opt out, you're still not really fulfilling the requirement of GDPR, which is that people have to make a positive decision to opt in. So doubtless this is one that will run on. And as I say, we've not yet had word from the UK ICO on whether they intend to adopt the same line as taken by the Denmark ICO, but I rather suspect they will. And so if you do use voice recording in your company, now's probably the time to start looking at how you can make it that if people request it, certainly, at the very least, you cannot record their tools. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Regular listeners will know that it's rare that we have an episode of the GDPR Weekly Show where Facebook doesn't make an appearance somewhere. And this week is no exception. Although things are a little bit different because the Facebook functionality in question here is 
the like button, which no doubt many of us have added on to our websites or onto customer websites uh, at some point. And the issue has arisen because the Advocate General in Germany is deciding on whether installing the Facebook like button on your website makes you, or the owner of the website, a joint controller beside Facebook with that data. To give some background here, Fashion ID, a German online retailer, integrated the Facebook like button onto its website. Now, when the Facebook like button is installed on your website, information about a user's IP address and the browser string is transferred to Facebook in Ireland. And this occurs automatically when the website the button is on, so in this case Fashion ID's website, was loaded, regardless of whether the user had a Facebook account or indeed whether he or she had clicked on the like button. A German Consumer Protection Association has filed for a cease and desist injunction against Fashion ID on the ground that the Facebook like button results in a breach of data protection regulation. Now the fundamental issue here is the interpretation of several provisions of the GDPR regulation on the protection of natural persons with regard to the processing of personal data and on the free movement of such data. The Dusseldorf Higher Regional Court asked the Court of Justice of the European Union, the ECJ, whether an online retailer who integrates Facebook like button into its website is a data controller for the purposes of the relevant data processing. Pursuant to Article 26.1 of the GDPR, several parties involved in data processing are to be considered as joint controllers when jointly determining the purposes and means of data processing. In order for joint controllers to be responsible, each party involved must have actual influence. On the 5th of June 2018, the ECJ had already held that there was joint controllership between Facebook Island and the operator of a Facebook fan page. According to A.G. Bobek, the threshold for assumption of joint controllership is very low. Therefore, the A.G. suggests, in its opinion, that the ECJ should rule that the operator of a website such as Fashion ID, who has integrated into its website the Facebook like button, which causes the collection and transmission of a user's personal data, should be considered a joint controller along with Facebook. Accordingly, the mere integration of the plugin is considered to be a form of co-decision making for data processing purposes. So they're saying that by installing the Facebook like button on a web page, you are acknowledging that you are becoming a joint data controller with Facebook. Uh, my guess is a good number of people who've installed the Facebook like button on their website won't have realised that's what they were doing when they did that. But nonetheless, that's the really the ECJ have been asked to make. So the ECJ have now gone away, as they do in their infinite wisdom, to uh, decide whether Fashion ID and Facebook did indeed co-decide on the means and purposes of data processing at the stage of the collection and transmission of the personal data, and therefore whether Fashion ID should be considered a joint data controller, and therefore, of course, 
whether its liability is, to that extent, joint with that of Facebook Ireland. Now, this is something I think that all of us who either have or have in the past installed a Facebook like button on a website need to keep a careful eye on because, think back, people, to the whole episode with Cambridge Analytica and so on, which is what got the ICOs around Europe interested in Facebook in the first place. And the potential liability here for a small website operator could be massive. Because if you can be held to be jointly liable with Facebook, that's not a position I'd like to be in. Now, I don't want to instill panic here, and I'm not suggesting at the moment that everyone should go around removing their Facebook like buttons from their website, because that's not at all what I'm saying. But I am saying do keep an eye on this case. And we will certainly ourselves be keeping a very close eye on it and bring you an update from the European Court of Justice just as soon as we have a ruling from them on whether they are indeed regarding the operator or owner of the website with a Facebook like button on it to be jointly liable with Facebook. So we'll bring you any update to that in a future edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.